and we are going to start our teaching for the 18th day um, of counting the Omer. So um, I'm just going to give a few moments for everybody to jump on. So glad to be with you tonight. We have a destination to get to tonight, that's for sure. I'm going to try to start on time, and, and here I am glitching again. It just started, ladies. This is crazy. Um, while you're jumping on, I'm just going to play some worship music. I just want you to just breathe in His presence. Seriously, just sit down wherever you are, wherever you're going to listen, and just soak in His presence for a moment. Just stop everything and, and clear your mind uh, from the tasks, the stresses, the distractions of the day. And let's feed our spirit, the bread of life, and hear the word of the Lord. So let's just worship him. Let's just stay open to his presence right now for the fire of God. That's what happens at the end of this counting of the Omars. We celebrate the day of Pentecost. So just um, soak in his presence for a moment. Across the airways, across 
social media. Let the fire of your spirit move now upon your daughters and put place a fresh baptism of fire on us. I don't know if you can remember the day you were baptized, but I remember being taken to Barney Creek and just dunked under the water. I want you to get that image in your mind, ladies. Jesus just dunking you in a river of fire and you being consumed by the, the flames of the Spirit. Immerse us in your fire as women of fire, Jesus. Set our torches ablaze. Just ask Him to do that in your heart. Fresh fire on my life, Jesus. Oh, Rabakai andalama so, Labakashe ya katahai, He tiliki so, Shorabianda vakati lobusai. Fresh fire, fresh fire now, fresh fire over your daughters, roaring fire, a fire that roars, a fire that roars la mashiria kasai vuta vindiata satibiakai say tibikiandaya set our nation on fire suviakaya vava andiriviasaya lomo soya ladies why don't we just start with prayer today and begin to pray for a fresh outpouring of the holy spirit over our communities our churches and this nation right now father i just pray for a fresh baptism of your fire over our church, over our community, over this city, over this nation. I declare the White House will burn with the fire of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of the story in the White House's history where it was set on fire physically. But I declare in this decade, the White House will be set on fire by the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit in the spirit realm. Makia makasai, makia makasarabaki, subia she laria sa i lidia saya, limio poso lama andalabasia, set the White House on fire, set Washington on fire by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, set our leaders on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit, fill our churches with fresh fire from the altars of heaven, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus, immerse this nation in fire. Jesus, you said that you came to set the world on fire and we just come into agreement with you that the nations burn with the flames of the Holy Spirit. Pray it over your city, your community, your nation. Fire of God, fire of God, fire of God. Burn, burn, burn. All consuming fire of Almighty God. Burn upon us. Burn in this nation again. Burn in our capital. Burn in every state capital, in every leader. Fill us, fill us with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Let it burn, let it burn. We're open, Jesus. That's what we're agreeing for, is a harvest of souls and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they go hand in hand because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit will only bring a harvest of souls. The Holy Ghost is not here to scare the harvest off. He draws them in. He draws them in. And He empowers us to be witnesses to a lost and dying world. And so we need a harvest and we need the fire. We need both. And we just agree together as we give our bread to you, we agree for a harvest of souls. And we agree for a fresh baptism of fire in the name of Jesus. So just receive that over your life and we're going to get started um, in teaching and tomorrow is Tuesday so tomorrow you can join me and Kevin again and our students for prayer at noon 
Um, there we go. Um, prayer at noon. Uh, you can go to the Redemption School of Ministry a Facebook page and join there. And we'll be going there live uh, from 12 to 1 with an hour of worship and intercession and declaration. And you can join where from, from wherever you are. You don't want to miss it. God is just doing powerful things um, through prayer. And so um, not only uh, do I want you to be uh, lovers of prayer and lovers of His presence, but I'm going to, in the teachings that I'm doing, really start focusing on Bible study. We have been, um, and it, and I, I'm not sure where I'll go. I don't even want to put myself in parameters, but I feel a great desire just to break open the bread of the Word and begin to study what is written And I want that to be more than what we do in our time together as I'm teaching. But as you are giving up bread, how about you take in a larger amount of the bread of heaven, of the word of God. And um, I want you to study and know the word. And, you know, there's a little bit of, if there's a little bit of uh, confusion about the word of God, not confusion. We just, we hear things and we take them the wrong way, but this is the word. This Bible that I hold is is the Word. We consider this the written Word of God. It's not just another storybook or history book. It is considered to be Spirit-inspired, Spirit-breathed. It's considered to be alive. And if you ever read and interact with your Word, you'll find it to be alive. It can mean one thing in one season, and the same Scripture can mean something else in a different season. There's not a circumstance you'll go through in your life that you can't find the tools necessary to overcome and walk through something without finding it in the Word. It is your bread. It is your life. But Jesus is the Word. He is the Word of life. And knowing Him... And drawing close to him and studying Jesus and the person of Jesus is also a revelation of the word. And so um, if you're an RSM student watching me, you should already know this because this is one of our classes. But, you know, uh, the word of God is also known as the logos of God, the Greek word logos. And it actually comes from John 1. And I don't even know why I'm going here tonight. This is not where we're staying. I want you to be a lover of the word. But in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has made that has been made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness and the darkness did not understand it. And there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. Blah, 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 blah. I won't quote a scripture for you, but it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this is where we get the concept that Jesus is the word. And, you know, forgive me for revealing my childlike ways, but as a kid, that used to confuse me because I thought it meant this was Jesus, like Jesus was the Word. The Word was Jesus. We had a book we read, but then He was the Word. And it is true. Jesus fulfills this Word. This Word teaches us of Him. But Jesus is the Word of God, the the spoken Word of God. Because obviously in the beginning, they didn't have a good old NIV or King James Bible. John is talking about something else. Jesus being the Word, the spoken Word of God. That's how God created all of us was by the word, his word. And that word, um, I need to try to look this up, but that word logos is a Greek word that literally was used in Greek philosophy and would have been the audience John was writing to or speaking or teaching to when he wrote John chapter one. And the Greeks actually believed the logos. They were the first ones to use logos, not the Christians. And that might offend you, but the Greeks in Greek philosophy, go look it up. They used the word logos and it was considered to be the creative force behind the cosmos. The logos was uh, to the Greeks, the creative force of the cosmos. In fact, it was the connecting point between the natural and the supernatural realm and Logos gave order to the com- to the cosmos. That's what the Greeks thought. And to them, Logos was human reasoning and intellect. Okay? And so when John was saying, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God. The Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. That That's basically saying Jesus was the creative force. Like what the Greeks had studied all of these years should point them to Jesus and that the logos, the creative force actually became a man 
and that man was Jesus. And, and that is true. The word of God is the creative force of God. That's why when you pray what is written, there's power behind it. Uh, number one, the angels, they hear the word of the Lord spoken out of any voice and they give heed to it and they ensure that it accomplishes what it's been sent forth to do. The angels of the Lord give heed to the word. So when you pray the, war, the word more than your words, when you pray what is written or what God is saying, the angels of the Lord come um, to work on your behalf of your prayers. But you are also releasing, when you pray the word, the creative force of God, when you pray his words, and his words don't return void. Ours may sometimes, but his don't. His don't return void. And so you're praying the word. And so it is studying the word and it's studying Jesus, his life and the word that helps us feed ourselves the bread of heaven. And where the Greeks thought the word was human reasoning, as you read this, which is humanism, okay, so our world is still infected with humanism and what the mind can do and what human knowledge can do and what we can do in our own ability. That's what the Greeks thought the Logos was. But what happens is we have to be conformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to be not conformed to this world, not conformed to human reasoning, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so when you read the word you actually experience a transformation in your mind that goes beyond human reasoning, which is what the Greeks thought the Logos was. The real Logos transforms you to God thinking, not human thinking. It transforms you to understand his supernatural ways instead of your natural ways. So if you're not reading the word, you're going to be lost in this uh, epoch season because you need to eat it you need to declare it. You need to pray it. You need to know it. Some of you are laughing. I have a magazine in here. You need to pray it. You need to know it. And so every day when you would have eaten bread, eat the word, study it verse by verse and see what the spirit would speak to you there. And we did it the other night with my kids. I love to do revelatory practices is what we call it. Let's do a revelatory drill and we'll just read four or five verses of scripture and I'll go around and say to the kids, what did you hear? What stood out to you? What could that mean? Did God speak anything to you? And you will find how much your family, your children will love interacting with the word when you actually help them realize it's more than a story they read, but it's alive and it can talk and speak and direct them. It's pretty amazing. And so um, I want you to be a lover of the word. I want you to be reading the word, not just watching Facebook Live. And if that means if you're watching me instead of reading your word, you're missing out because Devin's words are nothing compared to the word of God. And so eat it. And the more you interact with the word, the more your heart will crave it and love it. You know, when you're dehydrated, when you're dehydrated, it's a proven fact. Um, let me grab this. When you're dehydrated and you need water, you actually can get to a point where you don't want to drink water. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very sad condition. You get dehydrated and what you need actually can make you sick to your stomach or nauseous if any of you have ever been to that place. But once you just drink anyway, so here this is the, the, the clue for overcoming de dehydration. You drink the water anyway, whether you want it or whether it makes you sick. And you begin to drink it and your body will shift and the deficiency will surface and you will actually begin to crave what once made you sick. And it's the same with the word. Quit waiting on some magic angel dust to fall on you and make you want to read your word. You're probably deficient in the word. Most of us probably are. Okay, my friend Tim Hall studies the word four hours a day. Okay, and he still says there's more to learn. So most of us are probably a little word dehydrated. And some of us have gotten to the place where we don't crave it. We don't want it. In fact, we hate reading it. But I'm here to tell you, get a good translation of the Bible you like and start, start eating it anyways. Start consuming it anyways. And you're going to find a switch will flip. And all of a sudden, you will have a hunger, an insatiable desire just to read and interact with the Holy Spirit and talk through a passage of Scripture and see what He would reveal to you. He'll make you feel so smart. The Holy Spirit will make you feel so smart. You don't have to have a theology degree 
for the Holy Spirit to unfold the revelation of Scripture to you. And you will read a chapter and go, I feel so smart. I never saw that, but the Holy Spirit showed it to me. So anyways, commercial for the Word. This may be something I have to break apart for tonight and tomorrow because it's just, it's just heavy. And I'm glitching tonight. I don't know what this means. It is irritating me in a prophetic way. This glitching means something. I know it, it has to do with what we talked about last night with the restart and the reset. But it's doing it again tonight. And I just, I have to just, it's like itching. It's like itching in my spirit. I have to just get this off my chest. There is just something prophetic about this glitching. I don't know if a glitch is coming. I don't know what God is saying about the glitch. But pay attention to that word. Um, even my own son, he had one of his college classes today. And after seeing me go through this glitching experience last night, he came down and told me that the Department of Energy, they had to watch a, an article, a news report from the Department of Energy that one of their greatest fears or their concerns uh, for our country is a glitch in um, at the Department of Energy and how it affects communication and power. And I don't know. I don't know what the Lord is saying. So I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to unpack that for me, but maybe he'll unpack it to you and you can message us all because there is something to this glitching. Pay attention to the word. Maybe I'm just supposed to provoke you to pray and study, but let's figure out what God is saying um, in this epoch time about this glitch that is keeps happening before me, this glitching. So we're going to go back um, to Genesis Chapter 8. And all I can say uh, for probably this week, we're going to stay here on the days of Noah. I do believe with all of my heart there is fresh revelation in this old story. And part of this epoch season, this epic time we're in, is a replay of the days of Noah. That's all that I know how to say. It's like uh, Michelle Davenport said that 2020 vision is not always forward. Perfect 2020 vision is hindsight, what's been behind you. And there's some things in this story uh, for the flood that we need to bring back into the present time we're in. And uh, we are living in this like days of Noah time frame. There's just some fresh revelation here. And so I'm just going to do it Bible study style. I just want to read some things and, and let the Spirit lift it off the page of how this is relevant to us. So there was something going on in the book of Genesis chapter 8 when God decided to destroy the earth by flood, to interrupt everything. Something led to the 17th day. Something led to that 17th day, which we talked about a 17th moment is a moment that changes everything. Um, it wasn't just God had a bad day one day and woke up and decided to let the fountains of the deep um, spring forth. In fact, if you do research on the story of Noah, you're going to find out that Noah built that ark for like a hundred years, like for real. You know, some of you that are really impatient, you're going to have a hard time with God's clock. You know, we're trying to operate according to God's clock right now, according to an epoch moment, according to a vortex, an accelerated moment in the kingdom but don't get frustrated if his moments don't quite line up with ours, okay? So God speaks to Noah, tells him to build an ark, and it's like a hundred years before it actually happens. Kind of reminds me of the story of Abraham. God tells him he's going to give him a son, and then it's like forever. What movie is that from? I think that's from the Goonies. <laughs> forever before God's promise is fulfilled. So some of you need to just take a chill pill that are stressing over the promises and the processes of God. Enjoy the journey. Don't get stuck in frustration waiting for a moment, okay? God will speak to you about a moment, but the journey to that moment is so rich. It's so full. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey. Even if the promise seems to tarry, wait for it. Because it will not lie. God will do what he said he would do. And just because it's not on your time frame doesn't give you the right to challenge his faithfulness. Doesn't give you the right to even let your spirit begin to doubt. God doesn't lie. His word doesn't return void. His name is faithful. Don't insult him with impatience, okay? It's okay. It's okay that sometimes our flesh wants to see it now. But don't start questioning his ability or questioning his faithfulness just because he's on his clock and not yours. 
God has his own clock. And the best thing you can do is get in alignment with it. So something led up to this flood, this 17th day moment. And I want to look at the symptoms of what was happening and the remedy for the symptoms. Okay. So um, we can look back at Genesis chapter eight and I'll, I'll just flip there. I should have already had it open. I've got so many places marked in my Bible, but in Genesis eight, we see that God has been inspecting humanity. There's several things he's upset about. It says that um, basically humanity is wicked and evil in all its ways. God points to symptoms, but he also exposes the root. He's talking about how um, the sons of God are laying with the daughters of men. And this is a whole other revelation that you really should study. It's just not for today. But God actually says that these children are born from these sons of God and they're the famous ones. And a lot of people think this points to Greek mythology, that maybe Greek mythology is an over-exaggeration of some real famous Nephilim or beings that were like God human beings. Who knows? There's so much here. It's kind of freaky. I don't want to get stuck in that. All I know is this. God wasn't happy with that. The men were taking all the wives they wanted. There was no covenant, no loyalty. It says this, that actually God said when he finally saw that the heart of man was filled with wickedness and that his thoughts and intentions were corrupted, that's when God began to draw the line. Some of you, you know, you get hung up on uh, the fruit of sin and we all make mistakes and, and God doesn't like the fruit of sin. But if your heart can remain pure, God can purge you of sin. He can forgive you. He can work you through a process uh, to purify you. And some of you have made mistakes, you've sinned, but in your heart you're grieved because you still have a God consciousness. That's a different condition than someone whose thoughts and intentions have become corrupted and evil. It's no longer a fruit of sin. Now the heart and the mind have become the birthing ground of sin, the root of sin. And when humanity became corrupt in their thinking, that's when God began to decide about destruction. It's right here, ladies. The battle is right here. As you think in your heart, so you are. What happens here determines what comes out here. And what comes out here determines what is brought to life in your life. Because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your world is shaped by your words. Words that you believe here. Okay? Not just babble. And you can declare and say a lot of things. But if you don't believe them here, those words are powerless. But when there's a connection of words and belief, and thought, and intent, then you birth the world around you. And some of you are, you're victim to a world that you've created with things that should never have come out here. But the problem is not here. It's, it's here. Because you're thinking it. It's in your heart. And so it comes out of your mouth. And when it comes out of your mouth, you're either empowering light or darkness. You're either bringing um, uh, power and life to the will of God, or you are agreeing with your enemy. And some of you agree with your enemy more than you agree with God. Okay, you don't want to admit that. You, you don't want to admit that, but what comes out of your mouth doesn't line up with this. Every once in a while, it lines up with this. But on a daily basis, you're agreeing with the report of the enemy. And so when God saw this was corrupt, he knew he had to begin again. He knew he had to start again. And then the crazy thing is one of the reasons why God destroyed the earth was for violence. The scripture literally says God was grieved that the earth was full of violence. And that should be eye-opening to some of us at mom, as moms to think about how much violence our children witness, how much violence they participate in. And the fact that we are becoming numb to acts of violence. We're becoming desensitized to acts of violence in our society. And that's really what was happening uh, pre the flood. They were desensitized to violence. And so God decided um, to bring a flood. So what were the symptoms of the sickness that led to that 17th day when the fountains of the deep broke forward? God decided not to relent, not to change his mind. At that point, there was no turning back. He was moving forward with his plans. 
you have to turn over to Matthew 24 to see how this relates to us today and if we are experiencing some of the same symptoms of this society. And I do believe we are. I believe there's um, a loss of covenant in our society, um, a loss of covenant in marriage and relationships. I do believe there is um, a, a corruption of thinking and uh, there's a, a generation coming up that is fierce and ready to serve God and give their life for Him. But there's also um, a counterfeit generation rising up that is corrupt in its thinking and intentions and selfish at the root of their mindset. And um, there's violence all over the earth. And um, we actually find violence entertaining in our society. We actually find violence entertaining. And we actually have some of those symptoms now. Why is it important to know that? Because in Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus says this, Now concerning that day and that hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father only. As in the days of Noah, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. So here in Jesus is talking about things to come, but he challenges us to look back at something that's already happened. Here's a perfect example of 2020 vision being forward and backward at the same time. If you hear me say nothing else about 2020 vision, it's forward and backward at the same time. Jesus is saying, for you to know when this is going to happen, it's going to be like what was back there. For you to know when you're close to this season, you're going to have to remember the season back there. Because when we study history, it actually prepares us for our future. So here's the mother of a son who's going to study political science and history. And I'm excited because to be knowledgeable of history is to be prepared for your future. There's a Devin Wallace saying, to know your history is to be prepared for your future. Because when we begin to erase history in this nation and it's beginning to happen... That is a demonic assignment against the, the children of God being prepared for our future. Ooh, that was a strong statement, and I'm not taking it back. Our history, whether it's beautiful or ugly, whether it can be celebrated or we should be ashamed of it. See, what we want to do is we want to erase parts of our history that we don't like. That's what's happening in our nation. If we don't like it, if we think it doesn't represent who we are now, we want to just press a delete button. But the problem is... If we want to continue to not be who we were, we can't forget how horrible it was. If you delete every negative thing behind us, then you open the door for a generation to be ignorant of the mistakes of our past and some new leader or some new teaching, some new movement to come in and rebirth the wickedness of our past. But when we raise our children to understand the beauty of our history, whether it's horrible, whether they cry. I remember my kids would read stories. One of them's reading a book right now um, that was written uh, during the times of segregation. And she has cried. She's so angry over the things that were said and done. And it makes me angry. But I'm not deleting that book. Because if she doesn't read it, she might repeat it. But if she can see the ugly scar, that ugly place in our history and see it for what it is, it might make her a spokesperson to prevent that from ever happening. And when the enemy tries to come in and repeat his plans over our nation, if you are knowledgeable of our history, you can see the same plan packaged in a different wrapping paper every time. You will see the plans of the enemy packaged in a different wrapping paper for every generation. And it's why we've got to stop this deleting of history, even if it's horrible. We need to say it's horrible and say we're going to keep it so our children remember how horrible it was. And we need to embrace the positive things of our history. That was actually one of the agendas of Hitler. I know we don't talk about history enough. I love it. But like uh, Germany was a democracy before Hitler. 
It actually was. It's kind of scary. You know, we're a democracy that could turn socialist or communist um, over just a series of events. If this whole event with the virus hasn't made you realize how quickly our government could become something other than a democracy, what you are actually feeling and seeing happening and, and what you're wrestling with is that our freedom is being taken away and our choices are being taken away. And, and that's probably for the better good right now. But I'm just saying, look how quickly, look how quickly it can shift. And that's what happened to Germany. And it started with a movement among the young people. Hitler pulled in the what we would call the millennials now, what you see happening in our nation. He pulled in the young people and they began to burn books. They burnt history books. They burnt teaching. They burnt a whole generation of history. Because Hitler wanted to reprogram that generation. So don't let it happen in our nation. I don't know where this is coming from, but I'm exposing something. And you watch it with me because we cannot do that. God says, if you want to know where you're going, I want you to look back at something that happened. Because like it was then, that's how it's going to be again. In other words, the enemy is going to have the same plan. And he's going to put it in a different wrapping paper for a future generation. And you can raise your hand right now. We are that future generation. We are experiencing the last days. They actually started, they started in, in the time of Jesus with the apostles. They kept saying they were in the last days. Jesus kept saying he's coming quickly. And I don't remember who said it. It's the funniest quote. Oh, it was Ryan Harbunke that said, if Jesus was in the last days, then we are in the last seconds. If that was the last days, then we are living in the last seconds on God's clock. If Jesus said that he was in the last days, then we are in the last seconds. And we are that Noah generation. So we got to look back. Jesus said like it was then is what it's going to be now. So we should go back, study the days of Noah because that era of Noah is repeating itself. We are in another phase of the days of Noah with a little bit of a different packaging. What were the symptoms? This is what happened. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying, be giving in marriage, and they were completely caught off guard by the flood. In fact, having a hard time, I've got too many Bibles out, too many pieces of paper. The Bible actually says here in Genesis chapter 7 that they were swept away by the flood. That phrase is actually, they're swept away by the flood. That up until the day Noah went into the ark, this is what Jesus refers to, up until the day the first raindrops started falling, people were living life like nothing was going to happen. They were totally consumed. Let me save my place. They were totally consumed by Kronos. And they were ignorant of the Kairos, of the epoch moment that was opening up. They were totally running. They weren't just living on this linear time frame. They were running down it with reckless speed, with no consciousness that anything could ever break their pace. They were just living life while Noah was preparing. So you got to realize for a hundred years, Noah was preparing daily. For a hundred years, Noah was investing his money, his time. He was daily walking a life of obedience. And so when this happened, when that epoch, epoch season opened up, the 17th day that changed everything, Noah was ready. In fact, seven days before he was ready, because remember, God gave him plenty of time to get in the boat. But everybody else was watching him prepare. They were hearing him talk about it, but they were still eating and drinking and getting married and going to work and buying fields and having such a wonderful life. Until the 17th day. And then that epoch season opened up and they were swept away by it. I'm trying to think of the best way I can say this. Church, daughters, we cannot be swept away by another epoch season. The Bible says this. God says he does nothing in the earth without first revealing it to his prophets. He didn't send Noah through anything he didn't prepare him for. 
It is not the will of the Father for us to be caught off guard. That is the wicked that will be caught off guard. The, the God-consciousness ones. Those who are, have no God-consciousness that will be caught off guard. But His children, we may not know the exact hour or day, but we are commanded to not be ignorant and to know the season. We should not be swept away by any epoch moment. And some of us, when this virus came, even many areas of my life, I speak to me first, I was caught off guard. I was swept away. And I had to go back and search through prophetic words from prophetic leaders. I think I told you this in one of the sessions that Kevin said, where was the prophetic warning, Devin? How did we not hear it? Because we knew that God is faithful and he doesn't lie. And even though we might not have heard it coming, somebody did because God does nothing in the earth without first revealing it to his prophets. And now some of you have seen it. You've looked at it. God was saying it all along. We should not have been caught off guard. I think it's just amazing to see these old prophecies of Kim Clement that keep surfacing where he prophesied President Trump would um, become president. And then he, he released this prophecy about Bill Gates opening a gate for the church. We're still waiting on that to happen. But Bill Gates is like on the playing field right now with what's going on in our nation. He prophesied the death of Kim Jong-un, which we don't know if that's accurate. But just reading these prophecies that are years old, some of them over a decade old. But God was speaking because he prepares us very early. Sometimes God speaks something and we think it's going to happen the next day. He spoke to Noah and it didn't happen for a hundred years. But the message was urgent because it required preparation. And we ought not be swept away by the flood. We should not be swept away by present circumstances, by unforeseen things, even unexpected. We should have a a demeanor of preparation in the spirit, always watching, always praying. Why were the disciples caught off guard when they came to arrest Jesus? Because they kept falling asleep and they couldn't watch and pray. Had they watched and prayed, maybe they would have got a revelation of what was coming. Maybe they wouldn't have been caught off guard. Maybe Peter wouldn't have rashly cut off the ear of Malchus, one of the soldiers. We, we act rashly when we're unprepared. We make stupid, rash decisions that Jesus has to clean up. How many decisions does the church make because we are caught off guard and he has to go and heal what we cut off because we react instead of being prepared? I want to be proactive, not reactive. And you don't have the privilege of being proactive if you're not going to be watching and praying and having a, an ear that is tuned to heaven. God reveals his secrets to those who fear him and love him. And and he might not be able to tell us the details or the hour or the time, but he will let you know when something's coming. And I don't want one more epoch season to come, one more catastrophe, even one more blessing to come that in some way my ear personally, I, I love leaning on others, but I'm trying to train my own ears, my prayer time and my walk with God to be in, in such a manner that God can talk to me. And I don't want to make rash Peter decisions because I am reacting to something that I wasn't prepared for. And I don't want to make a mess for Jesus to have to clean up. And right now in this hour, the church cannot make messes that Jesus has to clean up. He can't. If we are walking by the Spirit, then we might not know what's coming, but we will be prepared. Noah did not quite understand all that was happening. But before the first drop of rain fell, he had an ark built. Because Noah built by faith, not by circumstance. Some of you only choose to obey God when circumstances confirm that you should. And I'm here to tell you, by the time your obedience makes sense, it's usually too late. Write that down and stick it as a notebook in your Bible. By the time your obedience makes sense, it's usually too late. And if Noah had rationalized the word of the Lord and said, I'm going to sit on that. I'm going to wait and see if God confirms that. And then I'm going to wait for it to actually rain. If he had waited until it was obvious, he would have drowned. He would have perished with everyone else. But Noah built by faith. God said, this is what I'm telling you to do. This is why I'm telling you to do it. That's all you need to know. I want you to trust me. I'm going to help you start building. And I don't know if I could have been as faithful as Noah for 100 years. He obeyed. 
he never saw rain and he just kept building and he kept obeying. And that is that, that persistent, consistent lifestyle of obedience that builds an ark. And it is that same persistent, consistent lifestyle of obedience that will build an ark for you and your family even now. Why did Moses not die with all of the other young boys in Egypt? Because his mother built an ark out of obedience. She didn't really understand the end of the story. She didn't really know what was coming, but she knew he was a good child. That means she perceived the anointing on his life. She made an ark. She put him in the river. She trusted God against all odds. And today, that we still celebrate the act of obedience of one woman. And if Noah had waited, he would have been destroyed. But he lived a lifestyle of preparation. And God is letting us know that so many were destroyed in the flood because they were unaware. They were disconnected and unaware of the spiritual clock of heaven. They were unprepared. They were caught off guard. They didn't have a belief system in what Noah was saying. And because of that, they perished. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to fear famine. You don't have to fear flood. You don't have to fear fire. And you don't have to fear uh, pestilence. You don't have to fear any of those things. If you will just walk in obedience... God will take care of you. It doesn't mean you won't have to go through it. It doesn't mean you won't have a Daniel in the lion's den experience or a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experience. It doesn't mean you won't have to go through it, but the key is you will go through and you will come out on the other side because you didn't choose to obey when it made sense. You lived a lifestyle of faith, which God sees as righteousness. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And some of us have got to start actually listening to what we're hearing. And instead of rationalizing it away, we've got to start just doing it. I mean, Noah probably looked crazy. You know that there was that movie. I can't remember the name of it. Somebody can post it. It was some modern movie they made over Noah. And it's kind of silly. But, um, but his family thought he was crazy. His family thought he was crazy. Can you imagine what Noah's family thought about him? Can you imagine what his friends and neighbors thought about him in a wicked, uh, godless society? How they must have ridiculed him at what they could have said about him. And, And ladies, I don't know how else to say it. The fear of man is making me puke in our nation. I am so tired of everybody being bullied by the fear of man. Everybody changing their mind and changing their message and making decisions because they're afraid of what people might say or think or they're they're afraid of what kind of publicity they'll get or they're afraid of what will show up on social media or on the news. And I'm here to tell you, if that's the worst form of persecution we face as a church, we ought to celebrate because they're not dragging us out of our homes and holding a gun to our head. If it is just people thinking we're crazy because of our faith, We should really be strong enough to be okay with that. Shake off the fear of man, daughters of God. It is such a snare. That's what the word says, and it's so true. When you are so worried about the opinions of people, you will never be able to accomplish what God has for you. A a, a sister, a, a prayer mother at our church told me one time, because I was so led by fear, she said, Devin, fear and faith can't ride on the same horse. You're gonna have to kick one off. That's how prayer mothers talk. That's how they prophesy. The deepest form of wisdom I ever had. Fear and faith can't ride on the same horse. You're going to have to kick one off. Daughters, fear and faith can't cohabitate in your life. And the fear of man is the first thing that's got to go if you're going to build an ark. If you're going to not be caught off guard in the next season, you're going to have to brace yourself for a little criticism. Jesus warned us. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you because no servant is greater than his master. If you think that you're going to be above criticism and public rejection, then you actually think you're better than Jesus because Jesus, God in the flesh, people, his own family thought he was crazy for a season. They talked about him. They hated him. They rejected him. 
And Jesus took it all. He never flinched. He never cared. He never sat up at night and worried about what the po- what what was going to be posted about him on Facebook or Instagram or who was going to tweet something about him. Jesus never cared. He only cared about one thing. If his father was happy with him. He only cared if he was doing what his father said do. And I'm here to tell you ladies, I want to be an ark builder. I want to be an ark builder for my family, for my community. I don't want to be swept away in the torrent of every epoch moment and, and everything the enemy brings our way. Because if this Bible is correct, it's, it's going to happen more and more. Those are the birth pains of the return of Christ. And when you begin to read end time prophecy, it's not a pretty season. It's a glorious season. It's a glorious season for the bride and the moving of the Spirit. But it is not a pretty season for those who are faint of heart and for our flesh and for any kingdom we've built on this world. I've been concerned. Can I just bear my soul, ladies? I've been concerned about the bride. I'm afraid we're, we're a little bit of a, of a butterfly. We're, we're, a little, we're a little weak. We're a little bit of a snowflake. And we just melt too easy. God didn't mean for his bride to be a snowflake. She's supposed to be a woman of great authority and such passion for him that her focus isn't on what anybody else thinks. And I pray that over you. So Jesus said, that's how it would be even now. And so it is. So it is right now. We find out that people are living for the Kronos, the, the, the Kronos time. And some have been totally unaware and caught off guard by this epoch moment, this Kairos time that has come upon us. We're eating and we're drinking and we're um, mar- getting married and being given in marriage. We want to just go on with our everyday life and we're not really wanting there to be kingdom interruptions in our schedule. We really don't want the kingdom to interrupt our plans. But I'm here to tell you, God is interrupting our regularly scheduled programming for kingdom revelation that the earth hasn't seen yet. And we need to be ready for it. Jesus says this, That's how it'll be in the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't even know until the flood came and swept them away. So all this is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. I'm in Matthew 24. I'm going to read from verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, 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 Jesus is saying, here's your key. Here's your key. This is how it's going to be. So this is how you need to be. This I'm preparing you. Jesus said, I'm going to help you not be caught off guard. Therefore, be alert. Be alert. Okay? When I was a cheerleader, we used to do this cheer called be aggressive. Be, be aggressive. And I'm telling you, be alert. Be, be alert. You cannot afford spiritual slumber right now. You cannot afford. You may I pray you rest better in the natural than you've ever rested because your faith is anchored all the way in Jesus Christ. But don't you have an off season in your spirit. This is not the time. This is a fourth quarter moment. This is not the time. This is full court press, ladies. This is the time to give it your all. This is the last lap of the marathon. You cannot afford spiritual slumber right now. Be alert. Be, be alert. You're going to hear that cheer in your brain and hate me for it. But wake up. Just wake up in the spirit. Jesus kept telling his disciples, can you just stay awake with me? And I think Jesus is crying out to his bride right now. Can you just stay awake with me right now? Can you just be alert right now in your spirit? Be aware. Be in tune. Shake off all distractions. Shake off everything that's taking your focus. Shake off the lullabies of the enemy that is putting you to sleep, telling you, it's this is so excess. You 
you don't need all that. It, it's no big deal. Just ignore all that. Shake it off and wake up. May the bride wake up. I'm going to teach on a parable about the, the virgins, the five and the wise and the five foolish, but the groom came at midnight. This was common in Jewish tradition. It was common in Jewish tradition, meaning if you were a bride waiting on your groom, you were up at night. That's why they had lanterns with oil. It wasn't because their job was going to be done during the day. If their job was going to be done during the day when there was light, they wouldn't be needed. Jesus said, night is coming. He said, it's day now, I'm with you. But when I leave, that's when you need to start watching for me. I'm your groom. When I leave this earth, that's when the night is coming. And that's when it's time to watch and pray. That's when you better watch for me. That's when you better light your lamp. That You can't go to sleep. You're going to miss your wedding. You can't go to sleep because at the hour you think I'm not coming tonight, I'm coming. So stay awake. Watch out your window. Put your wedding garments on. Have your bridesmaids ready. Be ready. There's a wedding about to happen. Oh, I can't get so deep into this yet, but but part of the theme of women of fire this year is going to be here comes the bride. It's going to be about the revelation, the wonder, the woman of wonder, the bride of Christ. We're going to talk about the return of Christ. We're going to talk about being ready. I don't care if it's not popular. I don't care what people think anymore. I want to please him. And he is screaming it. He is screaming it. He is telling his bride, wake up, be alert, put your wedding garments on, watch at the window, light your torch. I'm coming. And part of being a woman of fire is having your lamp burning so that the night holds no darkness over you. And you are watching. You are alert. And you are ready. And then he says this. You know, basically, if a thief knew, if the, if the keeper of a house knew a thief was coming, he would have stopped him. A thief is successful because they come. And, and the enemy, then Jesus will come as a thief in the night. You're not going to expect it, but you need to be prepared. Okay? Case in point. I am not expecting a thief to come to my house tonight. I'm not. But I am prepared. Not to scare you, but if you are a thief watching me and you want to break into my house, let me warn you, the Wallaces are prepared. And maybe I should not tell you all the ways that we are prepared, but it would not be pretty for you. We absolutely believe in our Second Amendment rights, and we absolutely believe in self-defense. That's all I can say. And we have this cool thing called an alarm system on our house, and it is very easily triggered from every entry point of our house. That's why we have an alarm. So guess what? I don't know when a thief is coming, and now I don't have to worry about the hour the thief is coming because I have this internal alarm system set up in my house because I am prepared. I am aware that they could come. And and that's not even inevitable. The coming of Jesus is inevitable. The coming of a thief, I'm not even sure. And some of us are more prepared for what we're unsure of than what we know. Let me back up and say that. Some of us are more prepared for a thief coming to our house, something that may never happen in our lifetime. And we are totally not prepared for something that we know is happening. Absolutely know it is inevitable that Jesus is coming. And we put more effort in protecting our homes from a thief than preparing our hearts for the return of Christ. But I don't now I don't have to worry. If I wasn't prepared, I would have to be worried about the hour the thief comes. But because I know there's a warning, I don't have to be worried. I have prepared. And when you're prepared, you can sleep. Not in the spirit, but in the natural. I can rest. You can rest, not sleep. You cannot sleep in the spirit. You can rest. There's a difference between rest and sleep. I preached a sermon on it. Maybe we'll post it. You can rest in Jesus because he's got you. He's your ark. But you cannot sleep. You must be prepared. And I have this internal mechanism in my house called an alarm. And if a thief shows up, that alarm will sound and wake me and shake me. And we have a plan of action in place. And we are ready and we will catch the thief off guard instead of the thief catching us off guard. You ought to be prepared. You ought to have an internal mechanism in place called a watchful spirit where you watch and pray and you devour the word and your ears tuned tune toward heaven and the Lord will sound an alarm. He will sound a trumpet before he comes because he makes his arrival known to his elect. And you can rest 
but you cannot sleep. You must be prepared. And then this is what he says. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave? We'll end with this. Man, I didn't even get to the meat of what I wanted to get to tonight. So I'll have to continue it tomorrow night. I assure you. Oh, who is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? That slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. I assure you he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if the wicked slave says in his heart, my master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with the drunkards, that slave's master will come on a day when he does not expect and at an hour he does not know. And he'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. It's pretty harsh. But basically one servant, he works like Jesus could come back at any time. And instead of playing a game of Russian roulette or gambling with his eternal salvation. He makes every hour the hour Jesus could come. He works like every hour. He watches like a bride that thinks at any moment my groom could come. And there's some of us that know he's coming. We just bank on him taking a while. We just have been so programmed by our clock that we just think it's never going to happen. And we're the bride that says, ah, he ain't going to come tonight. I'm going to go party a little more. I'm going to go live life a little more. I've got some things I want to do before I get married. And we're off having a bachelorette party when he returns. Which one are you going to be? The one who works like every hour he could return? Or the one who banks on his delay, but you find yourself without any oil when he shows up? That's my challenge for the bride is we've got to be ready. And that whole revelation he puts there about drinking with the drunkards, you know, in the days of Noah, they were drinking. In Matthew chapter 24, they were drinking. But here he takes it to another level. This is not a lesson on drinking. So don't get nervous. you got to work that out with Jesus yourself. I've been very clear about how the Wallaces feel. We don't do that at all. But that's not what I'm here to debate. But I am here to tell you it is absolutely undisputable that drunkenness is wrong. And Jesus doesn't just stop with drinking. In this verse, he actually says they were drinking with the drunkards. They were taking it too far to a level of drunkenness. And that's what I want to talk about is a spiritual drunkenness over our nation. That some of us are asleep and some of us think we're okay because we're awake, but we're drunk in the spirit. We're drunk in the spirit. We're inebriated. We're disoriented. Our reaction times are slowed. Our perception is impaired. If you look at the symptoms of drunkenness, you will find a strange parallel to some who call themselves part of the bride of Christ in this hour. And you've got to determine you're going to be sober and vigilant for your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Imagine a lion coming upon a drunk person. My bet would be on the lion because they probably wouldn't be even aware of his presence. And if they were, they would not have the coordination to run away or the speed or or the agility. Their perception would be off. You know what? They might even try to fight the lion because they just might think they're stronger. And a drunk man and a lion, it really wouldn't be a fight. And that's why the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. You got to watch and you got to be aware. You cannot be intoxicated in the spirit. We have to be sober and we have to be watchful. Wow, I got to stop. And there is so much more to say about Noah. I didn't even get to the Ark of Obedience or the Ruach of God. And so you'll have to tune in uh, tomorrow night. Um, to see. And then uh, we'll definitely take a break Wednesday. I'd just like on Wednesdays for you to participate with whatever your church is doing. I know some teenagers watch, some college students, people from our own church. Some of you are in other churches. I don't ever want to compete with what the local church is doing. I am a church girl. I love the local church. I'm not anti-church. I'm not a church basher. I'm a church supporter. And I want you to stay connected. So we will not come on Wednesday night because I hope you're participating in something uh, with your own church. But I will come back on tomorrow night and we'll go over the schedule for the rest of the week. I want to pray for you and bless you now. 
And then I encourage you to join me tomorrow at noon for prayer. We'll be praying some of these very things that we taught on tonight. And I want you just to allow the Spirit to examine your heart on this um, 18th day of Omer. And ask the Father to make you a watchful bride. A watchful bride who is prepared and sober and not drunk. So let me pray for you now. Father, thank you so much for the revelation of your word. And this is my prayer and my desire for the, for the women watching tonight, Father. This is my prayer. Not only that they will become lovers of prayer, but they will become lovers of your word. I pray and release right now a grace, a grace for revelation. Father, just as you have given me at times gifts of revelation, not something I could have obtained on my own or received from a certificate from a school. Holy Spirit, you are the ultimate theologian. And when we partner with you in our, your study, the study of the word, you unlock scripture. And that's what I'm asking you to do, Father. Give these ladies keys of the spirit to unlock revelation of scripture. Some that have never had confidence in their own ability to study the word. I pray you'll study with them, interact with them. Holy Spirit, you'll get up all in our Bible reading time and you'll just begin to unlock lock layers of the word. Make them addicted to the bread of life, your word. Just like most of us are addicted to carbs. Most of us were addicted to our bread and our biscuits and our waffles. Lord, make us addicted to this word. I pray we would be women that are armed and dangerous with your word. Let us put it in our heart. Let it flow out of our mouth like a sharp two-edged sword. Let us have a passion for it, an understanding for it. Open up revelation, Father. Give them an insatiable desire for your word. And I pray it begins even tonight when they open up your scripture, even tomorrow morning. May they crave time in your word. May it be alive, not dead, alive time. I just see the Lord like plugging up a live wire to your, your Bible reading time. The word will become alive. It is alive. It is living. It will speak to your circumstances and your situation. It will breathe on you that, that the breath of the spirit We'll come to your Bible study time and you'll be a lover of the word. So I pray that and I declare that over you now in Jesus' name.